I am hearing more and more about parents going to their pastors distraught over their children walking away from the faith. What is causing this and what do we need to do? That is the topic on today's episode of Kingdom Currents. Welcome to Kingdom Currents. My name is Glenn Schultz, your host, and today I want to address a problem that is becoming epidemic in today's culture. I have had pastors tell me how a distraught parent will come to them and say something like this. You know, my child went away to college and has come home and told me that he or she no longer is a Christian. When my child shares what he or she now believes, I don't even recognize him or her as the same person. What happened and what am I supposed to do? The most common reaction to this type of situation is to blame the secular university for brainwashing our children. There is no doubt about it, the agenda found in most secular colleges and universities is aimed at weakening one's faith. During my doctoral studies at the University of Virginia many years ago, I read a report that concluded that the college experience weakened the faith of 80% of those students involved in the study. So that should definitely cause us great alarm. However, the reason why so many young people leave the faith due to the college experience, quote-unquote, is because they are not thoroughly trained in their earlier years to know truth and be able to defend their beliefs about God and their faith when they get into that college scene. I can go into a lot of detail about why this is happening at unprecedented rates, but I want to give our attention to what should we do as Christians when our children or one of our students begin to embrace lifestyles that are in direct opposition to God and his word. The quote-unquote prodigal child condition isn't limited to those young people who have graduated from high school and become part of the university scene. This is becoming more and more common in young people where I see as, as early as age 12 and 13. This is especially true when it comes to all the gender dysphoria that has exploded on society over the past three to five years. Our children are quote-unquote coming out and claiming to be gay or trans. How do we respond to this troubling trend? Now, if we listen to psychologists, they tell us, well, we need to show love and to such children by accepting and affirming their behavior. Parents are told that if you don't do this, you're going to drive your children away from you and they'll never return. What has brought about a lot of confusion to parents and teachers when faced with this type of behavior by our children and students is the emphasis uh, on seeing people or having em- that who have embraced the L- LGBTQA plus lifestyle as being normal and being good. Of course, they're not defining normal and or good biblically. It's just by how they feel. I I recently heard one pastor accurately warn his church not to change their theology because of someone being good or nice. What has brought about added confusion for Christian parents and teachers is the number of Christian leaders who seem to have embraced this immoral lifestyle that is whether it's heterosexual or homosexual in nature. One prime example of this took place recently when a well-known Christian recording artist announced that she was going to be hosting a gay wedding at their home. 
Her reasoning was, well, God is love and we're to love others, so I guess that's right. Video clips of a well-known megachurch pastor have recently been circulating on social media where, where he says that he sees gay Christians, quote-unquote, as having more faith in God than other Christians in the church and even in the church leaders themselves. So what should we be doing for people who are being caught up in, in the sexual revolution of today or in any sin, sin that will bring them pain and heartache down the road and may even lead to eternal damnation? I recently watched a video podcast by Pastor Shane Eidelman who addressed this ver very issue. There are some key steps he suggested that caused me to go back and watch this segment several times. The first, and I believe the most important thing we must do, according to Eidelman, was to what he referred to as clarify, a first C, clarify. Whatever the situation we are in, we must know and speak the truth about it. We cannot afford to be unclear as to what God says through his word about any form of sin. Unfortunately, we allow emotions and personality to come in and confuse us as to what we really need to do. Whatever the situation, we must always speak truth about it. Now, some will say that, that it is more important to love and support and affirm a person who is living in sin. In reality, that is not loving someone. Agape love is not focusing on how we are going to be looked at or loved by someone else. But it is a self-sacrificing love that will cause us to speak the truth that will benefit the other person, even if it causes us temporary hurt. So according to Eidelman, the first C that we must do is clarify. We must speak the truth about the sin. Eidelman then said there is another C that we must do, and that is to communicate. And what are we supposed to communicate to our child or student while speaking truth to them? We must communicate that we really do love them, that we care for them. And, and even though their behavior is wrong, we can't approve of it. It doesn't mean that we don't love them. In, in, in Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15, we find these words. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, now listen, speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. One commentator explained these verses this way. We are to speak the truth to one another with love so that we can all grow in maturity. We are to train one another in truth, the foundational gospel truths, truths about who God is and what he has called us to do, hard truths of correction, etc., and our motivation to do so is love. Speaking the truth in love is not simply saying the truth in a gentle way. It is loving the person to the degree that we want to see him or her grow into maturity, we must speak truth, being motivated or driven by our love for a fellow image bearer of God. One person explains what happens when we focus only on truth or love and not both. This person says, 
Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. However, truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. I have often heard it explained this way. Truth without love leads to legalism. Love without truth leads to liberalism or license. Many years ago, when I was teaching a senior Bible class at a Christian school, the students taught me a very valuable lesson. We were looking at the passages in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, and we were trying to see uh, how parents are supposed to be training their children. Ephesians 6, 4 is a frequently quoted verse when it comes to parenting. It reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline or the nurture and instruction admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 is a similar verse that reads this way, Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. Now after, in class, we read these two verses, I asked the students, what do your parents do that causes you to become angry? That's the Ephesians passage. Their response was unanimous. It is when they were overbearing and authoritative and, you know, lording over them. You do what I say. As we discussed this, it seemed to be when parents kept hitting them with truth and telling them how wrong they were because this is what the Bible says. Well, then I asked them what their parents did that would cause them to be discouraged. That's Colossians. Again, they were quick to respond and their, their answers surprised me. Their parents discouraged them when they were too permissive. What I saw was that permissive parents were unwilling to speak hard truth to their children, and the children saw this as not caring about them as much as about the parents wanting to be popular with their own children. So we've got to understand that those two passages really give us that balance of truth in love. Eidelman gave an illustration of how truth and love must be in balance with one another. He pulled out a balance scale, much like the one you see the, the blindfolded lady of justice holds. And he labeled one side of the balance truth and the other one love. He then began to put quarters into the pan labeled truth. He, he showed how if we only pile truth on our children, even though it's biblical truth, soon the scale is completely out of balance and we end up alienate them. But then he started adding some coins to the love pan, and all of a sudden, the two sides came into balance. When confronting a wayward child, we must clarify, and we must communicate. We must speak truth in love. Eidelman didn't stop there. He added a third C to the equation, and that C represented contend. Now, when you look up the definition of the word contend, it, it means to struggle to overcome something. Uh, when we contend for something, we are going to struggle to try and overcome it. If we consider the time when the disciples could not cast out a demon in a young child's life, that Jesus entered the scene and he accomplished the needed task. When the disciples asked him why he could cast out the demon, but they couldn't, Jesus told them that it only happens with much prayer and fasting. Contending for a child 
in our homes or a student in our classes means that we have to be willing to be so burdened for that child's soul that we get alone with God and we even forgo some physical nourishment, fasting, and we contend and we struggle in prayer for God to redeem that young child's life. Now here's where sometimes we fail to, to see God do a redeeming work in a child that we're contending for. We contend for that child, but only for a period of time that we think is long enough for God to do something. And once that time is sort of achieved and nothing happens, we stop. Eidelman explained that God changes a person's life often after a parent, teacher, or grandfather has begged God to do something for years and maybe even after that person dies. How many times do we hear of someone being radically saved or their life transformed and that person says, oh, he wished or she wished that the mother or the father or grandparent or the teacher was alive to witness it because that person knew how that person had prayed for them for so long. See, I believe we're going to see more and more of our children and grandchildren struggle with gender issues or other forms of sinful behavior and maybe even walk away from the faith as time passes. This is why we must be more committed and determined to give the next generation a biblical education from birth on at home, church, and school. See, it's always better to capture their hearts and minds for the Lord before they get led astray by the world than it is to try and bring them back after the world has gotten a hold of them. And so I'm not saying, well, let's wait till they get into this condition and then we'll clarify truth and we'll communicate love and, and we'll contend for them in prayer and fasting. What we need to do is, again, when they're first born, start teaching truth into their life in love and do that consistently at home, church, and school. We must give them a biblical education from the early years all the way through high school. So when they get to that adult age, they will think and act biblically, and they will discern when these false ideologies are thrown their way. But even if we find ourselves with a wayward or a prodigal young man or woman, let's remember, we must clarify. We must always speak truth, never compromise truth. We must communicate. We must communicate our love to them as we speak truth. And then we must be willing to contend for their souls. We must get before God and and do a battle uh, for their souls in prayer and fasting. The battle is becoming more and more intense with each passing day. However, God is still in control, and that means we must never forsake him or his word. I want to thank you for tuning in to Kingdom Currents, and I really want to encourage you to email me and let me know how this podcast is helping you in your walk with the Lord. I also want you to send me any questions you might have about some of the topics that we've covered when it relates to the education of children and youth. Or or let me know what topics you would like me to consider addressing on future episodes. You you can send those questions, comments, uh, topics 
to me by email at glenn, G-L-E-N, one N, at kingdomeducation.org. That's glenn, with one N, G-L-E-N, at kingdomeducation.org. Until next time, let's be diligent in contending for the hearts and minds of the next generation by speaking the truth in love. (laughs) 